Hi, this is Matt from Working Fintech, and today we're delighted to be joined with Theo Priestley, who's a technology futurist. He's a best-selling author of The Future Starts Now, has spoken at TEDx, and spends a lot of time thinking and talking about the metaverse. And today we're joined also with Working Fintech founder member and NFT prodigy, Benjamin Ahmed, who's going to be joining me in this interview. So good morning, Theo. Thanks, thanks for having us, and it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, thanks for inviting me again, Matthew. It's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Can Can you give us a brief introduction to your background, kind of your personal journey and, and kind of what you're working on today? Yeah, sure. I mean, I come from a technology background. I've been in the technology industry for around 20 years, working on both client side and vendor side. I've done a lot of studying of technology trends and future trends and where they seem to be leading both businesses and society in general. Um, like you say, I've written a uh, a recent book which encapsulates um, all those trends and where with fellow futurists and where we see um, a variety of technologies and societal um, differences all heading. Um, I've been writing about uh, technology trends for best part of 10 years, speaking at industry events for the same time. IoT, 5G, cloud, big data, VR, AR, and uh, like you say, everything just seems to be converging into this one big mega trend called the metaverse. So it's really fascinating to see everything all heading in the same direction and, and potentially working together as well. And the metaverse has been on everyone's lips for the past couple of months. Why, why do you think now? And and can you talk to us about what you think it is and does it exist yet with the early stages of it? Or is there still a few few things that need to happen until it becomes a bit more adopted and understood? Yeah, I mean, we've we've lived with the metaverse in very early uh, conceptual stages for a very long time. Um, if you look at uh, MMORPGs, for example, you could class those as very sort of um, rudimentary examples of metaverse because people live in that particular virtual world. They have an avatar. And for, for, for non-gamers, can you explain what an MMORPG is? <laughs> uh, yeah, massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Um, so World of Warcraft, for example, is a good example. Um, EVE Online, Elder Scrolls Online, all those things that we typically ignore as uh, geek-type things because, you know, people spend a lot of time on them and uh, and they and they you know and it's it's a leisure activity um you can class that as a, a type of extension of the metaverse where people ha have socialized have lived have almost lived a second life second life is another example as well where um people have essentially built second lives and businesses that have generated money and i think this is where the, we're starting to see um more of an evolution and maturity in the space is that the metaverse is becoming an extension, a digital extension of our physical reality. That's probably about the simplest way I can put it. Um, you can live there, you can work there, uh, earn money there, learn there, you know, essentially everything that you can do today in reality, you can do digitally um, in the metaverse. That's the ultimate goal of where everything needs to head. So, a lot of people think NFTs and crypto will power the metaverse, almost as if it's the fuel for the metaverse. What do you think about this and what are your thoughts on metanomics? What are metanomics? Yeah, metanomics I see is basically the digital economy um, within the metaverse. Um, and again, it's something that mirrors the, the, the physical economy that we have today. Um, and I see 
NFTs as being a critical component as well as crypto uh, crypto economics as well, because essentially you're dealing with a digital reality. So you need a digital currency that you can trust. And whether this is based on an Ethereum layer uh, and protocol where you, where you can generate smart contracts or whether it's Bitcoin, you know, all of that is up for debate right now. Um, but essentially you will own a digital wallet with numerous currencies, much like we do today. Um, and this is where you will not only um, extract value from your digital reality, but use that digital currency to pay for physical goods and services in the real world. Um, NFTs are, we're just literally scratching the surface here. Um, I think a lot of people see NFTs as um, a bit of a quirk, um, especially with the um, the sort of um, art-based art examples that we see in the news today. Where I see things going and um, where things will mature is when the NFT actually has utility within the context of it being of its use. So um, we're seeing movies being produced um, and then minted as an NFT. We're seeing um, music being produced and minted as NFTs. In-game assets, for example, and video games are a great, great um, are another great example of where if you have, you know, if you buy something before a game is bought. Uh, say a, a spaceship or a, a house uh, kind of sort of thing, or, or even a digital piece of land. You own that piece of land, and then um, once the, the the ecosystem matures, that piece of land or that asset that you've bought actually has utility, and you can use it digitally in the environment that you that that's being built around it. So at the moment, you've got an art piece, uh, but it has some limited use. You know, you can display it. You can tell everybody, you know, how much, you know, you own one. You can change your avatars. That's kind of all you can do with it at the moment. Uh, but when you start building um, assets uh, that have utility in the metaverse, so shoes, clothing, that kind of sort of thing, suddenly you're having a little bit more utility. You're being able to interact a lot more with it. Um, it's being able to generate something else. So there's triggers happening as you use that utility, you know, that asset and utility within the metaverse context. Um, and again, using that, you could generate money, you could generate, uh, you know, interactions, other experiences, etc. So like I said, we're at the very beginning of the journey um, and, and it's the same with the metaverse in itself. We've lived with it for a long time. We're seeing another iteration as our thinking and as our technologies mature. Um, Benjamin, do you, do you want to kind of comment on that as well? Because you, you've you had a similar, I suppose, journey yourself with NFTs, with your Minecraft avatars, and then more recently with your non-fungible heroes. And there's a, there's a kind of a roadmap for the non-fungible heroes, isn't there, where you, that you kind of pull together script writers and illustrators and so on to actually take something that's starting off as a digital art and 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 um, nfts but actually to be able to create some something commercial a tv series um, merchandise so kind of physical uh, goods as well as digital can you just talk on that and, and what the idea is around nfh yes so the recent launch of nfh which stands for non-fungible heroes so it was an NFT collection consisting of heroes and villains, which are male or female, and they they come in different shit, like different forms. And if you look at the roadmap, we're planning to do a comic series, which could hopefully be expanded out into maybe a TV series, which the royalties from that TV series are flown back to the token holders. So that will give the NFT utility 
and it will prove that NFTs are not just JPEGs. And and Theo, yeah, when we've spoken before, we were talking about uh, the idea of, I think at the time it was Fortnite, and we've had these different online um, concerts and gigs inside Fortnite. And you were talking about the idea that, in fact, they're just stress testing the infrastructure. Can can you talk about that? Because there's obviously this this big overlap between the technologies you're seeing used in gaming, which are now being used as a foundation you know, with like the Unreal Engine, for example, for some of the next iteration of the metaverse. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So um, at the last Ariana Grande concert, um, I picked up a, a, a rather cryptic tweet from one uh, from the chief um, creative or commercial officer at Epic Games, uh, and he used the hashtag blue strategy. And everybody kind of sort of leapt on it thinking, oh, what's this? Is this the is this a next new game or something like that? But in actual fact, blue strategy um re- refers to a blue ocean, blue ocean strategy which is uh, a you you create a a product in a space where everybody's heading in one direction but you suddenly grow that concept out um to own that space because you're essentially doing something completely different and that's what epic have been on this journey since they started in fact tim sweeney's a very very smart man and his vision was always pointing in this direction um and unreal engine and, and fortnite has basically been helping steer the ship um, of epic games in this direction um when we look at fortnite fortnite has obviously grown in huge huge numbers since it launched um but all these external parties coming in and, and allowing people to congregate in large numbers and then do certain activities, whether it's running up and down stairs, interacting um, in different ways. It's all part of a plan to actually stress how many people you can get into the platform at one time concurrently, how, you know, what kind of actions you can actually do at all at the same time. Um, and then allowing sort of external sort of third parties to hook in and then do something else into that platform. Um, so it is, um, I see Fortnite as a, yeah, like you say, you know, it's a stress test of what is possible. Um, and incrementally, every time they do something, um, they're testing just that little bit more to see if it breaks, how much more it can handle, how many more people can you get under the one roof, you know, how many more different layers of interaction can we switch on? Um, and this is, you know, it's a perfect model in a sense, you know, most people are trying to build something big bang approach um, and say, yeah, we've launched something and then everybody runs in and it breaks and then they go, oh, I wish we had known, you know, what to do next. Whereas Fortnite and Epic are basically, you know, and and Unreal Engine are basically saying, you know, we've got this, people have been using this tool for, for, you know, for 10, 20 years now. Um, We know what we're doing. We've got the infrastructure, just turn the tap on a little bit each time and let's see what we can do. And, and following on from that point, the do you see the we've seen the, I suppose we've seen the increase in these what you call exponential technologies with you know kind of VR, AR, and IoT and five G and all of these factors. When will we see kind of the interface moment for um, kind of the the true Ready Player One type metaverse? You know, getting getting to that point obviously is pretty far in the future, but. Is is there a set of kind of interface moments you might see in the meantime? Is there is there like a big technological breakthrough that's still needed in order for the metaverse to become mainstream, or is it more the little iterations? Like, I know you're not a big fan of Facebook, but you know having their you know the the, the Facebook Ray Bans that's essentially AR 
and having it in real time and so on. It's that next kind of step towards the 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 bigger Ready Player One type future. What what do you, when do you think that interface moment will be, or is it a, a, is it a sequence of many many steps? Um, it's many many steps, but I don't see it as a, a technological breakthrough in a sense. It's more about accessibility. You know, the metaverse is the concept of the metaverse is that it's it's inclusive. Um, and I find that a lot of technologies that are being built today are exclusive. Um, so if you take glasses and if you take um, headsets, for example, you know you have to have the money to buy one. You have to have the uh, the PC or, or the, the the machine to be able to run it as well. Even though some are quite, you know, are basically um, free of that and wire free, you still require you know a, a good piece of hardware kind of sort of thing to access this. Um, nobody else, you know, and then. You know, I, I think you know glasses are another example where it's you're, you're overlaying a digital layer on the physical world. Um, but again, do you really want the you know do you really want eight billion people to be wandering around wearing glasses when they didn't actually need to? Um, I find that people are ignoring browsers um, and the mobile phone quite a fair bit at the moment. And and in terms of accessibility, you know there are seven billion or seven point eight billion mobile phone devices or smartphones out there in the world today all sitting in someone's pocket you have the convergence and and sort of the release of 5g and 6 obviously 6g coming along but 5g technology which allows upload speeds and download speeds you know download speeds of around you know 900 megabits per second on a mobile device is just absolutely insane and if you can think if if you have a screen device, whether it's a mobile phone or an iPad tablet or, you know, that kind of form factor or even a Chromebook. And all you need to do is open up a browser and then you have a gateway into, you know, a metaverse um, uh, environment or a, a virtualized environment. How, how, how easy is that for people um, rather than having, you know, a set of headsets that only a finite number of people can actually access? So, you know, there's a lot of maturity in terms of thinking about accessibility first before we get to anything about technology. And and what I've seen some of your articles on this idea of Generation M, where you've got obviously young people that, are, that have been born recently, and they are going to be living in this kind of world. So from what you've just said, obviously accessibility is vitally important because there's already, you know, billion billions, lots of people who do not have access to the internet. Um, and and it needs to be made easy for those people moving forward as well. The idea of then maintaining human contact in a world where Generation M is growing up in a fully digitized world, how how do you kind of see that changing at all? Like obviously you said it's a bit of a mind mindset shift. And and on a similar note, if there's more of a digital existence, do you think that's going to exacerbate that divide? I mean, it kind of sounds like. It, it probably would do from from what you're saying if if it's not an equal level playing ground. Yeah, I mean uh, we've seen um, we've seen an interesting experiment in a sense with the pandemic about social uh, isolation and exclusion um, when we've had physical contact removed from us and we've all started to become more aware and more in tune with being able to live digitally. Um, and having to sort of use the tools around us to connect, and I think that's been a, a it's been a 
a, a sort of rapid journey over the last 18 months for people who used to think, well, I can live on Twitter or, or LinkedIn or Snapchat and that's all, or Facebook and that's all the in, interaction I kind of need to keep in touch with people. Whereas when you remove the ability to go outside and physically see someone, suddenly you think, well, actually, I want to see, you know, Benjamin or, or you, Matthew, but not just your avatar. I actually want to see a representation of you that I can interact with. You know, not, not a static avatar like on, on Twitter or something like that. So I want to be able to communicate, see your facial expressions, all that kind of sort of thing. So when we get to something like uh, the metaverse, I think, you know, there will be people like introverts and, and other people who will be very comfortable with living fully dig digitally as long as their avatars can have that kind of level of expression. And again, we've seen, you know, what with, what Epic are doing with metahumans. For example, that sort of really fully rendered, digitalized um, sort of facial and avatar system. Um, and if we get away, you know, we'll migrate slowly away from cartoony type, th type things to something that can allow us to, one, express ourselves in different ways to how we want to look, but two, allow ourselves to fa fully facially express ourselves. And that'll be through, ba you know, a really sort of advanced sort of uh, motion capture just by using the camera. Um, you know that Snapchat has shown that you can do kind of basic stuff with with lenses. You know, and camera lenses are getting more and more and more sophisticated. That you know, motion capture, you don't need this sort of full mocap suit with the dots all over your face kind of thing anymore. So, you know, it's um, you know we are getting to that point where people are going to feel comfortable because the technology allows us to feel comfortable interacting that way. But again. A lot of people see this as a, a once and done shift. You know, it's going to happen in the next couple of years. And how am I going to cope? It's not. It's, it's, you know, it's a gradual thing. You know, the metaverse itself isn't going to fully realize itself uh, until, um, you know, a good five, 10 years when we actually figure out what are the core technologies and what are the core infrastructure requirements that we need to power it. How will the developing world position itself with the metaverse? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it goes back to the sort of accessibility here. Um, I think the developing world, in some respects, has a, a an, an interesting acceleration point because they can build some of the infrastructure, like 5G and, and everything else like that, without making the same mistakes that the Western world has done. Um, the other thing as well is that accessibility is key. So they understand that... Um, you know, giving people basic browser access would mean that they have that first metaverse experience um, immediately rather than uh, having to, you know, find the means to, to, to give everybody some kind of headset or glasses. Um, so the most basic piece of equipment, whether it's a tiny tablet that's been on, that, that's three generations before, as long as it has a browser, most of the heavy lift and, and internet capabilities, most of the heavy lifting is done in the cloud anyway. So that, that gives that. Um, I also think that the, West, the developing world is, is really hungry to learn. Um, they understand that you can solve problems with very little. Um, you know, so the Western world is very kind of sort of saturated with capital and, and, and that kind of sort of mentality where I need lots of money to solve a problem, where if you go to the developing world, it's very much a case of I've got sticky, but, you know, sticky plasters and everything else. And I want, and, and I need to solve this problem with the tools and, and the materials and this talent that I have. And they're much more adaptable that way. Um, so I think that the developing world have actually got a, a really interesting inflection point to actually um, take hold of the metaverse concept in its early stages and actually do something really clever with it um, and accelerate.
we kind of seen that with um, Axie Infinity in 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 the Philippines, where you know they've obviously um, used some of this technology to to extract value from the digital world back into the real world to help them in a time of need, and then that has you know that's grown exponentially over the last couple of months. Yeah, that's a a, a a really good example, actually, Matthew, um, and it's one I wrote about as well, which is, um, you know, Axie is a quite a, a a sort of ship in the bottle example where I think it's it's grown exponentially, it's had its kind of supernova moment, and it's now starting to dip, um, because it is quite limited in what it can what it allows you to do and how it allows you to engage, but it's a glimpse if you can actually capture that moment, but also build the mechanics around that, whether it's a you know whether it's a, a, a bigger game um, or whether it's in a sort of more virtualized environment where people can do a little bit more interaction um, instead of just farming little critters. That's I think that's where you know real value comes from. You know, Axial last twelve months. You really want to be building and thinking about something that's going to last twelve years as a you know that kind of thing. That's where thinking needs to start. Evolving. What do you think, young people? Like, what skills do young people? What skills do they need to learn in order to thrive with the metaverse and life in the next 10 to 20 years? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I've got two teenage boys and they're very different. Um, You know, my 18 year old is actually learning game design. And I think that's a really, really interesting and powerful um, skill to have for the metaverse. Um, because you need to understand how people want to interact. You need to understand the levels of interactivity and how to design the design worlds that people want to live in. You know, and whereas my 15-year-old is very sort of physical and practical and he wants to learn um, physiotherapy, for example. So they're very sort of chalk and cheese. Um, so I can't say to people, oh, you must learn something. You must learn all digital skills because we've seen this happened in a cycle before where everybody um, in previous governments in the UK, everybody was told, learn a digital skill. And then what happened was all the trade skills disappeared because we th- they thought all the money was being poured into learning coding. And then suddenly nobody could do plumbing or electricity or, or build, you know, kind of sort of thing. And then what we saw was that shift from overworked sectors like healthcare, where doctors and, and um, general practitioners who who worked 70 80 90 hour weeks for very little pay were actually learning and filling those trade gaps that were there because they had a better quality of life and a higher pay so i think for for younger people i still say go out and explore you know don't be don't be set by school to pick a career and then live by it at a very early age um certainly like yourself uh, benjamin Go out and explore digitally what's out there. Learn about it because, you know, as you've proven, the tools are out there to allow people to learn. You know, everything as much as possible is like open source now because they want people to, you know, have a go and, and, and you know, start, fail, start again kind of sort of thing. So, you know, learning all about the metanomic side of the, the metaverse and how NFTs and crypto, you know, cryptographics and uh, crypto economics are going to, play a big part in this i think is a really sort of interesting skill to learn game design you know building assets you know you've got your iphone that has like a really interesting and cool lidar system that allows you to scan 3d objects now you can go out and scan the world around you and sell those assets on sketchfab um that you know all the tools are there i think it's i think now it's just a kind now we need the educational authorities to step up 
in a sense and tell the young people that these are the opportunities that are there and point them in the right direction rather than sitting them down and saying we'll learn something classical today you know there's a big problem with education and i've had them being a bonnet about this for a long time but that's that's for another podcast i think <laughs> earlier we talked about how ready player one gives a good glimpse of what the metaverse could be like in 15 to 20 years so what is your favorite book game and movie oh well my favorite book is um, a science fiction book called gateway it's by uh, uh, an old school sort of 70s author called frederick pole um and it was just a story it was just a science fiction story it's quite small um but it was just one of those that kind of sort of captured my imagination um and it was just it was you know it's not even particularly well written in a sense back then you know in the early 60s and 70s there was a lot there was a lot of sort of pulp sci-fi but it was just such a good story um and i've got a signed copy on my bookshelf um because i had to <laughs> um my favorite game um oh that's a toss up between so i like big world stuff so i like um Elder Scrolls Online and Skyrim because it just allows me to explore and tap into that side. I like Elite Dangerous because it's basically a space game that's modelled on the, the Milky Way, so I get to like fly spaceships. And who doesn't want to fly spaceships these days? Um, Eve Online is a is another favourite of mine because, in a sense, Eve is a is a metaverse in itself on an example that's been going for twenty years, um, and it's it, you know it's a microcosm of society in there. You know, there's political, there's socioeconomics. Um, you know, it's a hot, hot, you know, hot mix of a lot of things, and the the, the freedom that it's given players to to generate is great. Um, yeah, and I don't mind the old shoot 'em up now and again as well. So any any sort of FPS like Halo, I think I'm very much in tune with more with science fiction kind of games though, and movies. Well, I'm old school, um, so The Thing and Jaws are, and Aliens are my sort of three favourite movies. Um, in terms of fintech, we're obviously called Working Fintech, and the whole um, idea of what we're trying to do is to help show people opportunities in this particular sector. But we've actually had quite a few discussions on podcasts in the last couple of months around metaverse, NFTs, crypto there does seem to be a convergence of of different uh, facets of that, which does overlap with fintech and metanomics we've been talking about. For people who are looking to get into a career in fintech, which could encompass any of those particular things, do you see any particular opportunities at the moment? Like you mentioned, like metanomics, could you expand on any particular thoughts on that, or or is there any kind of words of wisdom you could provide to young people who are thinking about? kind of startup ideas, for example, to, to take that idea of metanomics and actually create something a bit bigger? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, for me, if you want to look at that side of fintech, then I would look at, you know, what's happening in the Ethereum space and learn how tokens work, learn how wallets work, learn about all the kind of different side chains that are popping up like Solana and, and Polygon and, and how, how those work and how those how you could potentially help those scale um, or build something, a service on those. Um, also look at anything that requires a, 
a traditional financial layer. So an interesting space that's emerging is play to earn in video games, for example, which is uh, Axie in a sense. Axie has shown the way. Um, anything that has something like a traditional sort of subscription model or you have to pay to get access to suddenly has uh, has a very sort of precarious grounds as a revenue model because um, you know uh, crypto economics and metanomics is going to open that wide up right up for um, disruption so play to earn is something that um, is really interesting because you no longer need to charge people to play a game you know they're going to be making money from playing a game and so are you but in that sense everything becomes free and you're giving them the platform to earn um and so those old kind of old styles of 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 taking money from from people in various forms are going to be completely transformed so i would look at those you know if you're working in fintech or thinking about fintech or anything that's financial look at where you can actually turn something on its head using um a, a crypto uh, angle on it and and to finish off you kind of touched quickly on your on your journey um, at the start of this conversation but you've actually gone into lots of different areas lots of different roles and this this theme keeps coming up around you know generalization versus specialization and how you can learn skills which will uh, help build for the future as you as you're kind of going forward but similarly you can go into certain areas or jobs or roles which you fa- which you'll fail in but that is still a learning experience because you get closer to finding what you want and what you like doing so kind of with that in mind can you kind of talk about that journey that you've had and also if you were to go back and talk to your 18 year old self is there any kind of particular advice you would give um that might be different from from what you did the first time around um yeah, so I mean, when when I was first starting work, you know, uh, my parents said get a job in a bank, bank, you know, job for life, blah blah blah, um, and that 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 just I couldn't think of anything worse. Um, if I look at my career now, you know, uh, and certainly everybody around me, um, younger and old, who has that kind of similar kind of mindset as myself, is that you know your basic tenure is now sort of 18 months to two years because people want to keep going keep transferring into something else um i've never you know i've wanted to um push myself to do something different just because it interested me not because it meant something as a career choice you know and and one level up on the career ladder it was more to do with the fact that i could go away and explore what that what i could do in that space and then if i liked it i would i would move on to do something else similar Um, and if i didn't i would just try something else entirely different you know and and i'm i'm my personality i'm comfortable with that not everybody is so i can't sort of say to everybody do what i do because it's just you know because it's the wrong piece of advice um if i went back in time and, and said you know met myself uh, i wouldn't actually tell myself anything i would just say just do just do what you're going to do and enjoy it because you know you have to make those stumbles and steps along the way and you know some choices have been bad some choices have been good but you know um if i didn't make them i wouldn't be here with talking to benjamin and, and you so you know there's got to be some positives that that have happened along the way to get me here exactly it's always be learning um okay well, on that note theo thank you so much for joining us today it's been really interesting to hear about your thoughts on on the future and and all of the amazing possibilities that are here in front of us and benjamin thank you for, for joining the interview as well 